Before we jump into uh, to the message, I just want to ask a question. Uh, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? As you reflect back on your life, what, what gift that you've received stands out above all the rest? Maybe over lunch, that's a good question just to, to talk about with your family or with friends or next time you get together in a gathering. Uh, ask someone, what's the greatest gift you've ever received? And then uh, a dovetail to that is what's the greatest gift you've ever given someone? Like that gift that you're super proud of, like you knew they really liked, like it landed, you know? Some people are, are difficult to give gifts to, but you got that one right, you know? It felt nice. What's that? What is that one? And and that kind of sets the stage for what we want to talk about today is, is, is the greatest gift, you know, that we can, can receive. And so we're going to be uh, talking about the verse that you heard our students quote uh, here on stage. Our kids quote from Kids Camp. Uh, we'll be unpacking that verse found in John chapter 7, uh, verse 37 through 39. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there, John 7. Uh, and we'll also have it on the screen. And we are going to begin by actually standing to honor God's word. Uh, we're going to read it out loud together, really loud, really proud, and uh, highlighted some of the words here in red. And so whenever we get to one of those red letter words, I invite you to read it out loud with me. Again, very loud, very proud. Uh, the kids did such a tremendous job of that. We don't want to be outdone by some kindergartners. So let's do it. All right, here we go. Uh, John 7, verse 37 says this. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And whoever in me, as Scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. So Jesus, we just thank you for your word and God, how it applies to our life. We thank you, Jesus, for tremendous promises in scriptures, God, that you give us like this, God. So I pray today for everyone here, God, for everyone that's thirsty and been longing for something that they just haven't been able to find fulfillment in, God, may they find fulfillment in you today. God, may you refresh our thirsty souls. And God, for all of us here, who, who believe in you, may, may rivers of living water flow from within us, God, to everyone that we encounter on a daily basis. God, I pray you'd empower us to that end and open your word so we can understand it and apply it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Well, this is a, a rich text whenever we understand some of the context around it. And it starts in John 7, 37 by saying this, on the last and the greatest day of the feast. Now, if you're like me, uh, oftentimes we just glance right over this and keep on our marching. But whenever we, we understand what it's talking about, there's, there's a richness here. There's, there's a depth here that, that will help us appreciate what Jesus is saying in the following passage. It says, on the last and the greatest day of the feast. We know from earlier in John chapter 7 that it's referring to this Feast of Tabernacles, as it was called. And it was the, the last day and the, the greatest day. And on the last day, there would be this incredible like, like water celebration that was a part of this Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles, the purpose of it was to remember what God did through the Exodus for generations to come so that young kids would remember how God delivered their ancestors from slavery in Egypt. If you've been with us as we've been in this series, Led by Fire, we've been studying the book of Exodus. And so, so if you've been with us this summer, then you know what, what took place there. But, but an overview of that is that they, they were enslaved in Egypt through a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, multiple miracles. God set them free. And then once they were free, they were in the wilderness for, for a number of years in the Feast of Tabernacles to commemorate that wilderness season. So part of that for seven days, they would live in tents. They wouldn't live in homes. Pilgrims would pile into Jerusalem 
And they would live, line the streets and, and, and do some tent living to remember their ancestors that were, were, were wandering the wilderness. And water was such a crucial part of that because they would remember how God provided water in the wilderness. They would commemorate how God delivered Moses out of the water. They would remember how it was through water that God rescued them from the Egyptians as he parted the Red Sea. They would remember the miraculous provisions of water as they're in the desert in dry places, how God provided for them time and time again. And throughout this feast, there would be prayers. Uh, People would bring offerings and sacrifices, asking God for water for the coming season. The, the, The Feast of Tabernacles always take place in the fall. And so after the harvest, they would bring in all their crops. They would go to Jerusalem to present uh, the first of their offerings, the first of their their crops to the Lord, and then also ask for water for the coming season. And water wasn't just water in this culture. It symbolized God's favor. It symbolized God's blessing. It symbolized a conduit through which life and rebirth took place within the Jewish culture. And so on this final day, the greatest day, when, when water was the, the prominent theme, a, a, a priest at the time would, would take this golden vessel, a golden ladle, and they would dip it into the, there's a pool in Jerusalem called the Pool of Shalom. And they would go to the Pool of Shalom and they would, they would take out this, this water offering and there on the fire, he would pour out this, this water and it would steam and they would read verses, read scriptures like Isaiah 12, two through three. Surely the God is my salvation. I trust, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And with that, the priest would pour out this water offering and steam would, would come up. And the priest would invite the people to, to ask God for water for the upcoming year. And, and sacrifice would be taking place, singing and dancing. The priest had this horn, like literally out of an animal horn called the shofar. And they would blow it. And like people are going nuts and it's exciting. A very joyful moment. And in the midst of that joyful moment, Jesus stands up on the last and greatest day. And he says this in John 7. Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. And whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Now, that doesn't seem super awkward to us today. uh, But at the time, it would have been very awkward. Uh, this week uh, throughout kids camp, no, none of the kids were like, uh, my wife, uh, Tiffany and Paige taught the Bible lesson and no, no kids went up to them and were like, this is so awkward, like streams of living water. I don't, that makes me feel uncomfortable. No one said that. We, in our culture, they were like, streams of living water can flow from my life. Like si- sign me up. I'll take two scoops of that. Like I need that in my life. But, but at this time in this culture, this would have been a very awkward moment. For decades, they had celebrated this Feast of Tabernacles. It was very scripted. It was very regimented. It was very predictable. It had probably become very religious for them. It was just something that they did annually. Then Jesus interrupts with this declaration. And no doubt, some people were thinking, like, who is this dude? Like, the religious leaders were like, we wanted to kill him before. Now, now we really want to kill him. His disciples, you know, were probably like, Okay, like this is starting to get awkward. It kind of reminds me of that Homer Simpson gif. Like you just want to like fade away into the, like that's probably how his disciples felt in this, this moment. But here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, maybe write this down. 
Out of this awkward moment, some powerful truths begin to emerge. And the, the big idea is that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy my thirsty soul. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy my thirsty soul. If you're like me, I've tried to quench that thirst with a lot of temporary things, only to leave me thirsting for something more. But Jesus makes this declaration. He inserts himself into this Exodus story, and he reminds us that, that he'll satisfy your thirsty soul. Matter of fact, it, once you're satisfied, streams of living water will pour from your life to satisfy others. Until we surrender to him, we'll keep looking for satisfaction in all temporary places that will lead us wanting more. And so out of this awkward moment, we see three truths, three gifts out of an awkward moment. If you're taking notes, this is where your notes begin. The first gift is that Jesus pours out salvation. The first gift that, that Jesus wants you to experience, the first gift that he wants us to take hold of is that, that Jesus comes out of this awkward moment. And he declares that through him, you can experience salvation. He pours out salvation. Again, the whole reason for the Feast of Tabernacles was to remember God's salvation to the Israelites out of the Exodus, delivering them out of Egypt. And Jesus' interruption is to point that he is the salvation that they have longed for. Just as he delivered them through the Exodus, now he wants to deliver them once again and satisfy their thirsty soul. In Exodus chapter 17, again, if you've been with us throughout this, uh, this study on Led by Fire, then you know that the Israelites had been enslaved for 400 years in Egypt. They're growing in number. They're growing in population. Uh, Pharaoh says, hey, you're getting too strong, and so we're going to make you taskmasters. We're going make, to make you slaves. And they use the, the labor force of, of Israel to build up Egypt's empire. Well, after uh, several years, 400 years, the Bible says that God heard their prayers. And so he taps Moses, this guy named Moses on the shoulder and says, hey, I'm sending you to go set my people free. And so Moses has a lot of excuses, just like we all do, of why he can't do it, why it won't work. But eventually he steps out with courageous faith and he goes back to Egypt with this declaration to Pharaoh, let my people go. Nine plagues take place as warnings to Pharaoh, let them go or worse things are going to happen. It was the 10th plague that would eventually bring Pharaoh to his knees and let the Israelites go. Only after he let them go, he's like, wait a minute, what have I done? Who's going to build my kingdom? Like, I need to go get them back. And so he goes and tries to rescue, or to get them back. And the Israelites are, are hemmed in, like Pharaoh's coming behind them, uh, the, the Red Sea's in front of them. And there's this pillar of fire that protects them, and God protects them miraculously. It's an amazing reality. And God parts the Red Sea and sets his people free and swallows up his enemy. And you would think, like, that's awesome. They're free. Only now they're in a wilderness with no water, no direction. And a lot of times that parallels our journey, right? Like we can experience freedom in Jesus in a moment, but, but the journey to the promised land, the journey through life, often has a lot of ups and downs, a lot of dry seasons, a lot of, a lot of dry spells. But through that wilderness season, God provided for them. And that's what we read in Exodus 17, verse 1. It says, at the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. So they're wandering around the wilderness. Eventually, they camped out in Rephidim. Check this out. But there was no water there. Now, you're going to see this theme there was no water there and so the, for the people to drink. So once more, the people complained against Moses, give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me? Why are you testing the Lord? But tormented by thirst, 
They continued to argue with Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us and our children, our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people and take your staff, the one that you used to strike the water of the Nile and call the elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Now check this out. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out of it. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. Now don't think of this as like a trickle. Don't think of this as like your garden hose. Like this is a huge rock and water gushes out so much water that they're able to, to provide, to thin, quench the thirst in the middle of a desert of two million people, plus their cattle, plus their livestock, plus all their animals. This is a, an amazing, amazing miracle. Now, now, this is what they're commemorating at the Feast of Tabernacles. And so the people that were part of Jesus' original audience, they would have made this connection and now Jesus comes onto the scene, and imagine the significance, because he's now inserting himself into the Exodus story, saying, just as, you, as I satisfied you with water then, now if you believe in me, rivers of living water will flow from your life, just as took place in the Exodus story. Paul makes this connection very, very vividly for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 4. He's talking about the Exodus, and he says, they ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. He, now, now, in the Exodus narrative, Moses strikes the rock and satisfies a multitude. In the New Testament, Jesus, our rock, is struck and now will satisfy every thirsty soul who believes in him. It's an amazing, amazing reality. This picture, this physical reality in the Old Testament is now a spiritual reality for us in the new. The first hearers would have understood this. Imagine the significance of this. He's saying, I provided for them physical water, but now I'm providing for you living water that will satisfy your thirsty soul. So much so it'll splash out onto those around you. We've been studying this, this book, this Exodus narrative and studying the life of Moses this summer, but, but check this out. At the time, the original audience that Jesus is speaking to, they would have started going to the synagogue and studying scriptures at the age of six. By the age of 10 years old, many of the kids that you saw on stage, they would have memorized, memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They would have known it all. They'd have been able to quote you chapter and verse. Uh, they didn't have chapter and verse then, but they would have been able to quote you the Bible, uh, uh, the, the, the Torah, the first five books. And so they'd been very familiar with this Exodus story. They would have, they would have understood the context of what Jesus was saying to them. Now the Israelites themselves are in a bit of a desert season. Uh, they're living in Jerusalem, but, but, but they're under oppression. They're under Roman rule. They're under heavy taxation. Beyond that, it's been a, a bit of a spiritually desert season for them, spiritually dry season. It's been 400 years since the book of Malachi, 400 years since a, a prophet of God brought a word from the Lord 
to the people. It's been very religious. It's just been kind of going through the motions. And now Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, hey, I offer you living water. Beyond that, not only feeling dry season economically, they're in a dry season socially, a dry season politically, but more importantly, they're in a desert season spiritually. Jesus points this out in the next chapter. He says, hey, you might think you're free from sin, like you're no longer slaves like you were in Egypt, but, but, but now you're a slave not to a physical taskmaster, but you're a slave to, to sin. He says this in John 8, 33. Uh, they answered them, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say you'll set us free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. We all have to come to this place where we realize that to some degree we are slaves to sin. But here's the truth. We all have sinned, but the good news is that God still saves, that Jesus still saves. He's still setting people free today. Jesus is offering salvation to those who would listen, to those who would believe, to those who would open their hearts to him and surrender their lives to him. Here's some exciting stats from our kids camp this week. Um, speaking of people that, that are continuing to be saved, we had uh, 71 campers, 71 kids participate in camp, uh, 28 volunteers served their time. Let's give it up for those volunteers that invested their week. Now check this out. Six kids made first time decisions to follow Christ and seven kids expressed that they want to go public their faith by getting baptized. How awesome is that? That's why we exist, to help people find and follow Jesus. That's why we exist, because Jesus is still in the life change business. Jesus is still in the, the transformation business. His offer of salvation to that original audience is just as real, just as vibrant, just available to you and to I today. So salvation is the first and greatest gift that Jesus gives us. The second gift is that, that the Spirit pours out transformation. So out of this awkward moment, we see two gifts now. The gift of salvation, Jesus pours out salvation. The Spirit pours out transformation. Let's look at it again in John 7. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scriptures have said, streams of living water would flow from within them. Now John, the guy who's writing this gospel account, gives some commentary. He, he begins to elaborate on what Jesus meant there. He says, by this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him would later receive. Up until this time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The implication is that salvation is the first and greatest gift. And then second to salvation, the greatest gift that you and I could receive is the power of the Holy Spirit being activated in our life, us letting the Holy Spirit lead us, guide us, direct our lives on a daily basis. So what makes the Spirit so great? I mean, there are a lot of things that we could talk about that makes the Holy Spirit's activity in your life tremendous. But one of them is certainly that he frees us from sin. Galatians 5.16 says, so I say, let. Now this is, if you're, you have your Bible, I would underline that word, let. Because uh, you can let the Holy Spirit guide your life or we can do things. I can do things that will not let the Holy Spirit guide our lives. Before I was a follower of Jesus, I used to think that, that because my life was jacked up, because I was wrestling with addiction, because I was wrestling with, with this, this circular habit that would lead to frustration and dysfunction, I was hurting people I love, that, that I thought because God wasn't changing my life, that, that, that he didn't want me. And I understood that. 
because I had blown that. I had this narrative in my mind that told me that I probably would never be, be good enough. But, but here's what I missed. I can let the Holy Spirit guide my life or I can resist the Holy Spirit's guidance in my life. That's true for you, that's true for me, that was true for me then, it's true for me today. The, the Bible says, so let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Check this out. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The Spirit empowers you to experience life transformation. He changes us radically from the inside out. But it, it, it's a partnership. It's the, this dance. Both parties have to participate. We have to let the Holy Spirit guide us, to lead us. Let him call the shots. He begins to remove the destructive habits that we all hate in our lives and he replaces them with good things, life-giving things for our benefit, for the blessing of those around us. It's not just something that, that he's done in my life, not just something that I've experienced. Uh, many here in this room could stand up here on the stage and give testimony how God's changed their life. Uh, billions of people alive today could, could share their testimony, how, how Jesus has transformed them. Billions and billions and billions of people throughout generations have experienced the transforming power of the Holy Spirit's activity in their life. And it led to a transforming life. That's what Galatians says in Galatians 5, as it continues, it says, it talks about, hey, some, some things we can do, like, like our, our, when we give into like our sinful nature, it leads to like bad stuff, death, destruction. But when we let the Holy Spirit lead our life, the Holy Spirit produces some things. You can't fabricate it. You can't produce it. But the Holy Spirit will produce this kind of fruit in our lives. And it's fruit that we all want. It's, it's, it's a life characteristics that we, we all desire. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Like who doesn't want that? But here's the deal. As you let the Holy Spirit lead, that's a natural byproduct of the Holy Spirit's transforming power in our life. And there's nothing more powerful than that. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him. Now, how's that gonna happen? So that you may overflow with hope, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing more powerful than hope. When you're discouraged, hope picks you back up. Whenever you're, you're discouraged and your head's hanging low, hope is the lifter of your head. When you're an Oakland A's fan in a season like this, hope. Next season's coming, baby. <laughs> Submitting to the work of the Holy Spirit is a choice, though, right? We can resist it. That's what Thessalonians 5.19 says. So, so don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Don't, you, can, you can stifle it. There's some actions I can take this week that will diminish God's activity in my life. There's some actions I can take this week that will increase the Holy Spirit's activity in my life. And the same choice is in front of you this week. There's some things you can do that will quench the Holy Spirit. There's some things you can do that will open yourself up to experience more of the Spirit's activity in your life. So here's a, here's a question to consider. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform your life? Is he doing a work in and through your life? Is your life displaying the kind of fruit that we just saw on the screen? Like would your family, would your kids, would your coworkers say, That's a, a, I'm seeing love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control hanging off, off of your life. And if that hasn't been the case this past week, today that can be the case moving forward. And it happens as we open ourselves up, we ask God, fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. God, we're gonna let you lead. We're gonna let you call the shots. Spend time in his presence. By a byproduct of that is it'll produce 
that kind of fruit. And that's what Jesus is referring to where he says, hey, rivers of living water, life-giving realities will flow from within you. So out of this awkward moment at this feast, Jesus pours out the gift of salvation. Reminds us that the Spirit gives us transformation. The third gift is that the Spirit uh, that God pours out, we get to pour out Jesus. We get to pour out Jesus. So he pours out salvation, the Spirit pours out transformation, and then you and I get to pour out Jesus. And what an honor this is. John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. In other words, salvation isn't just a gift you experience. Salvation is a gift you give. Salvation is a gift you and I get the joy to share. That's why the theme verse or theme big idea for kids camp is that you can make waves. The way that you and I make waves in our lives is to share the the life-changing message, the hope that's only found in Jesus. It's this picture of that, like whenever we're gathered together like this, that this would be a, an oasis, not only for each other, but for people who don't yet believe. That when people come into a gathering like this, there'd be something different about us. That, that, that they, would be, they would feel like, man, this is home. I feel like, man, this is family. I feel like so much joy here. I feel like, man, there's something, there's peace here that I just, I haven't experienced in many other places. It's rivers of living water flowing through our lives, through that interaction, through through that smile over a cup of coffee, through, 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 through singing and lifting our voices and, and opening God's word and, and praying for each other. It's rivers of living water flowing. But not only that, wherever you go, you're a carrier of that living water. As you go to work and maybe you feel like, you don't know where I work. My workplace is a desert. Like, that's the point. You carry living water and you get to pour out living water in that, that desert wasteland. You say, well, you don't know my family, pour out living water there. You don't know my community, pour out living water there. That person who agrees with me, pour out living water there. And that person that's adamantly opposed to you, pour out some living water there. Because they'll recognize, man, there's something different about them. And then you can point to the fact that it's not me, but I've just placed my hope, my faith in Jesus. And he promised me, that rivers of living water would flow through my life. That's why the God pours out his Holy Spirit so that more and more people could know him. Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And how does that take place? Wherever you go, pour out living water. Listen, you know this, people are thirsty and people are trying to satisfy trying to quench their thirst in all the wrong places, only to leave them empty, feeling like, man, there's got to be more to life than this. And what you hold is the answer. You, you have Jesus. And he says, through your life, those rivers of living water will flow. Jesus extends an invitation. He extends a declaration. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for the promise before us today, God, that that there is one who satisfies our thirsty soul. 
And God, it's you, it's you, Jesus. So God, for people that have not yet tasted, have not drank of your goodness, God, today, may it be the day that they surrender their life to you so they can know they don't have to thirst anymore. And God, for all of us who have experienced your goodness, we've experienced, we've tasted of your salvation, we've tasted of your transforming power, God, may we not hoard that to ourselves, but may we pour out life this week. God, give us courage wherever we are on that journey, whether it's to, to surrender to you, let you satisfy us, or whether it's to step out and begin to pour out living water wherever we go. Strengthen us by your spirit to that end, I pray. Amen. Hey, if you're, uh, if you're here today and you'd say, man, I've never, I've never done that. You know, my, as you describe people who are thirsting for something and try to fulfill it in all these different ways, I feel like that describes my life. And I would say I've been there too. I tried, I thought, man, whenever I get this amount of money, then I'll be satisfied. Only to get that amount of money and realize it never satisfied me. Whenever I get a house, then I'll be content. And it didn't make me content. Whenever I get this or that, it, it seemed like I was just grasping at wind. But here's what I would say is true for my life. And I think it is true for yours. That whenever we surrender to Jesus and say, God, here's my life. You, you call the shots. I'm going to let you lead. Uh, he changes our life. He satisfied. I can say he satisfied my thirsty soul. That's been in Paige's testimony too. It's a testimony of many people in the room. He's no respecter of persons, but here's, here's your opportunity. You have a role to play in that. We have to let him lead. And so here's how you begin that journey. It begins, uh, the Bible says that, that we've got to repent. In other words, that's, that's saying, I'm going this direction. I'm calling my own shots. I'm doing things my own way. And we turn. And say, God, I'm going to let you lead. I'm going to let you call the shots. I'm going to let you have the keys and control in my life. And as you do, you say, say, God, I'm surrendering to you. But I also believe that what Jesus did on the cross over 2,000 years ago, here's why the cross is so significant. Here's why you see the cross throughout Christianity. On the cross, God took your sin, your mistakes. And we, we all have them, right? We have a lot of them. But he, he lifted it off of your account. He lifted it off your shoulders. And he placed it on Jesus. And as Jesus died a brutal death, it was brutal because that's what your sin requires. That's what my sin requires. And when Jesus said it's finished, it means your account balance can be brought to zero. It means you can be forgiven. It means now you can have access to God, who is the giver of life. And if you feel like, man, I'm dry, maybe it's because you've not connected with the one who, who's the author of life. And you can connect with him. You can connect with God. But it's only through embracing by faith what his son did for you on the cross. If you want to begin that journey today, it would be my joy to pray with you. So if that's, that's where you're at, I invite you to say a prayer with me like this. Let's pray together. Say, God, I realize I've sinned. And God, it's my sin that has separated me from you. But God, today, I believe what Jesus did on the cross paid the penalty for my sin. So God, I'm praying now that you would forgive me of my sin. And today, God, I make this conscious decision to let you lead. I'm turning from, from calling the shots in my own life. I'm gonna let you call the shots this week. Today, God, I surrender to you. As you continue to pray with your heads bowed and eyes closed, if that was your prayer today, you're beginning a real relationship with Jesus, I just invite you to slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you before we close out. And uh, I got some resources, love to get in your hands. Thanks, thanks. Yeah, thanks. God, we, we just ask that you would Reveal yourself to us in stronger ways, in greater ways. We thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. That you say whoever calls on you 
will be saved. And so God, you see people in this room lifting their hands, reaching out to you, calling on you to, to free them, to save them from another day without your presence in their life. So God, may you do that miraculously and wonderfully. In this moment, I pray, God, that they would sense the weight of their sin and shame being lifted off their shoulders. That God, you come in like a flood with forgiveness and mercy and grace. And God, this week, as they live with open-handed posture, surrender to you, may they experience love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness, faithfulness like they never have before, God. We pray your blessing on them. May you strengthen them, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, let's put our hands together for those people who made that spiritual commitment. That's awesome. Hey, Luke, Luke 15 says that all of heaven erupts in celebration when just one person uh, repents, turns from their, their selfish ways and turns to God. And so we know heaven's having this party, but uh, Central Family, let's give it up one more time. That's big. It's a big deal. It's a big deal.